Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Feel Your Fandom Podcast. My name is Saint. I want to thank you guys for coming back around and chatting with us, hanging out with us again today. Uh, right now, we've just entered the fall season, which means it's raining a lot, which is good, given that half the country was on fire not a week ago. But uh, just so everybody knows when this is being recorded... Uh, like always, if you want to find us, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash feel your fandom. Um, I'm also in the midst of setting up a Patreon. I don't have all the information for that just yet. It's kind of been a hit or miss kind of thing. Uh, but uh, when I have more information about that, I will certainly guide you and direct you to that. Uh, if you want to send us an email, you can absolutely do that as well. Uh, we respond to that as well. It's a, a feelyourfandom at gmail.com. But without further ado, I want to welcome back to the program uh, someone we, we were talking about doing this program over uh, text messenger. And just because it was such a, a, a shock, such a, a, a show that just kind of came out of nowhere and, and smacked us both that uh, we decided we wanted to talk about it. So uh, without any further ado, I want to welcome back Mark Rauner. Mark, how you doing? Uh, nice to see you, sort of see you again uh, from the <laughs> confines of uh of the covid lockdown uh i'm i'm glad to talk to you and uh i was expecting a whole load of audio equipment because i also do some commercial voice work but since it hasn't arrived today i'll tell you that the next time we talk if we talk again you'll be able to hear me like i'm right in the same room like i'm on top of you you'll be able to hear me that way next time Ooh, don't promise something you can't deliver sir <laughs> careful what you wish for <laughs> How's COVID been treating you, man? Well, I haven't eaten either of my cats yet, but that's mainly because uh, I could only get maybe like a meal and a half out of them. I'm, I'm going stir crazy. How about you? Is it? I, uh, I, I thought I saw something about it being your birthday. Uh, yeah, actually, my birthday is in about a week uh, on October the second, and and actually, I, I, I thank you for bringing that up because I had uh, I started one of those Facebook. Uh, charity kind of events that people do around their birthdays. And I had been thinking about not doing one, but uh, uh, as I was scrolling through the list and, and it's a huge list of charities, the one that jumped out to me was a, a suicide prevention charity and uh, I couldn't not do it. And, and uh, I've talked about it a couple of times, but I've lost a friend very recently to suicide. And, and so it was really important to me. And, and, and so I set that up today and, Thanks for the generous support of a lot of people who've been on this program, actually, BJ, Shea, Brandon Jerwa, Jim Schweitzer. Uh, we have already almost hit the entire early goal for it. So I kind of moved the goalposts back because I wasn't expecting such uh, rampant generosity, but it's been, it's been an amazing uh, part of my day today. So, Well, good on you. I've lost uh, friends to that as well, and it's a good cause. And happy birthday, Grandpa. Oh, thanks. I feel they, they say you're only as old as you feel. And uh, I really hope that's not true um, because I feel like I'm about 87. Well, so. it's not the right year to go and get your prostate checked. Avoid all hospitals as much as possible. <laughs> Especially as it involves things going into or coming out of my rear. Uh, you've never been more on your own. And in that case, you should be uh, grateful for it. So are you a big Batman fan? Because I, we just started talking about Pennyworth in the context of, holy crap, 
you wouldn't believe this, but this show is the most entertaining thing I've seen all year. But we didn't mention whether or not we were both uh, big Batman fans. No, and in fact, that's absolutely right on. Uh, I've been, uh, Batman's been one of my favorite characters since I was about 10 and, and could really identify uh, right around, I, I was as excited as any kid could have been when the Michael Keaton movie came out in 1989. And uh, so I've been kind of there for all of the different iterations. I mean, I grew up watching reruns of Adam West and Burt Ward and uh, suffered through Val Kilmer, which wasn't that bad, and then suffered through George Clooney, which was that bad. Um, but yeah, I'm, uh, I would have to say I am a, a pretty, pretty big Bat nerd. How about you? Very much so. Uh, Batman's easily one of my favorites, if not my overall favorite, along with maybe uh, Daredevil. I got a chance to meet Neil Adams here in uh, L.A., uh, where I live now, and uh, he was in the comic shop that he opened in, I think, Burbank? I think it's in Burbank. I forget the name of it. Um, but Neil Adams, uh, for people younger than 70, uh, he is the preeminent Batman artist who really made like the more realistic uh, Batman that we know from, I guess, starting in the early 70s after Carmine Infantino and uh, after the more cartoony Batman uh, of the Silver Age. Uh, he did a lot of work with Denny O'Neill, too, correct? Yeah, the recently departed uh, late great Denny O'Neill. So I love Batman, and I could I could talk to you forever. You could have like a three hour show, and I wouldn't get tired of talking about Batman. And I want you, Kevin, to admit to me at this late date in 2020 that the Tim Burton Batman movies were kind of crap. They're kind of disappointing. <laughs> they were uh, overrated at the time because they looked cool, and everybody wanted a Batman movie from a big studio. Because almost all the superhero stuff that we'd gotten on the big screen at that point was pretty disappointing, Disappointing, with the exception of maybe the Christopher Reeve Superman. Cough, cough, Howard the Duck, cough. Sure, sure. I'm just uh, saying that, that no. in retrospect, the Tim Burton Batman does not hold up well at all. He can't even move his goddamn neck, okay? <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to agree with you 100% now. Keep in mind that when those movies came out, I was seeing it through the lens of a 12-year-old kid. So that I was exactly in the demographic for that at the time. And so, yes, there's always going to be a soft spot in my heart for the Tim Burton Batman movies. Not the Joel Schumacher Batman movies, but I digress. But, um, yeah, looking at them uh, through the eye and the lens of... Uh, a filmmaker and not necessarily through the eyes of nostalgia, I would have to say, yeah, absolutely. They are uh, stylistic and kind of bright for what they are. And we don't really want bright when it comes to Batman. And uh, I would have to say, or dark when it comes to Superman, Uh, they agreed. Very, very disappointing. And in retrospect, as, as excited as we both were back in the day for them, now, you mentioned uh, Adam West. I also need you to affirm to me that as you grow into old age, as you become a senior, oh. you appreciate the 1966 Batman more and more, and you love the absolute brilliance of its humor. Oh, I do. And and I was, uh, I, I was doing something at work the other day. I do uh, retail merchandising. And so I was at work the other day, and I had uh, a couple of products that I just couldn't find anywhere for 
because if you if you're familiar with those when you go grocery shopping those annoying hooks that hang in the middle of the aisle that have products on them oh yeah that's my fault i'm sorry Thank um <laughs> spoken as someone who's hit his head on them about 50 billion times uh but I had a couple of products I couldn't find a spot for, and so I'm just sitting there muttering under my breath, and I didn't even catch it until later, and I laughed about it, but uh, some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. No, that's 100% true. Some days you can't. And, uh, you know, uh, when uh, Adam West was still alive and I was still living in Seattle, uh, for part of, I can't remember if it was part of the film festival or not, the Seattle International Film Festival. Anyway, they had a screening of the 1966 Batman feature film at the Cinerama and oh. Adam West and Burt Ward were both there being interviewed by somebody on the stage. And I got kind of choked up. That's how fantastic that was. Oh, that's, they, a, you know, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. They're, first of all, they're terrific actors and they handled this material just, you know, they took the ball and they ran with it. But also just seeing those guys. They took the bomb and they ran with it? They absolutely did. And <laughs> the way he runs with the bomb with his knees up in the air still makes me laugh. <laughs> that and my favorite other part of that movie was the the bat shark repellent. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I, I love everything that, that's labeled with bat this or, or bat that in the bat cave. Absolutely. And, and see, that's one of the things you were just talking about how we don't want our Batman bright and we don't want our Superman dark. And I think that's where they, they kind of interspersed with each other because back in the day, uh, the Tim Burton Batman was all bright and neon and, and colorful and, and very stylized and kind of like a Daft Punk music video. Uh, And then the Superman in retrospect was the uh, Christopher Reeve Superman, of course, was very bright and, and colorful and exactly what we would want from our Superman. And then we switched around and we, now we get in, in the, in the times now with uh, Nolan's Batman and even with uh, Reeves Batman coming up, uh, we get a very dark uh, grim noir take on Batman, which is what we should have had all along. And we, and, and unfortunately that darkness also carried over to, uh, uh, Man of Steel and the Henry Cavill Superman, which is what we don't want. No, it was a disaster, and especially sad because Henry Cavill is a really good Superman. Now, he's but, just a fantastic actor all around, but he can only do what he can with the material he's given. Yeah, those those movies are just a war crime, uh, and, and Zack, <laughs> Snyder, Zack Snyder does not understand Superman. Worst episode ever. But uh, yeah, the the Batman '66 TV show uh, just gets more and more wonderful in retrospect because they just embraced the inherent silliness of superhero comics. And there's just something about all these fellow middle-aged guys uh, who take the comics so seriously now, <laughs> and and you know they they brush off the old Batman like, wait, I'm sorry, oh, it's just camp. It's just camp. I'm I'm sorry that this show about about a, a guy in a skin tight bat costume punching people wasn't serious enough for your tastes. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, we get a lot of really good interpretations of superhero shows now as well. Uh, I'm thinking things like, uh, like with daredevil and, and, and the like, but the idea that it has to be taken so seriously, you're absolutely right. is is ridiculous because when you break it all down to it, it's from the funny books, people. 
these are comic books. They're supposed to be comical. I mean, yeah, these are juvenile power fantasies in Batman's case that are from 81 years ago. So you can only go so far with being literal minded and dark and serious about them. And sometimes I just wish I had a time machine where I could go back to 1986, the far flung year of 1986. And I could stop Frank Miller before he published The Dark Knight Returns. And I could stop Alan Moore before he publishes Watchmen. Because just think of what those two things have done to the comic industry since then. Think of how many people have copied them, copied their style, their attitude. Mm -hmm. um, I love them at the time. But the, the influence that they wrought over everything and, uh, and this whole industry that seems to be catered to middle-aged middle-aged men who want to destroy their childhood uh, heroes. Uh, it's, it's just a waste. I, I'm coming more and more to Alan Moore's uh, point of view about, about the whole superhero genre. Yeah. And, and, and like you said, everything, everything seems to be kind of going dark for dark's sake. Like, and I had a buddy used to call it just grim dark. Everything has to be grim dark. And uh, it doesn't have to be. I mean, look at what happens when we're allowed to have a little fun with the characters. And, I, and I'm pointing specifically to James Gunn and his uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movies or uh, Peyton Reed's uh, Ant-Man movie. I mean, yes. yeah, well, you know, the, they the, treat it like a comic book. They were fortunate enough, those two directors, to be given properties that people honestly just didn't care that much about. Did you care about Guardians of the Galaxy, Galaxy before that movie came out? Not, not one damn bit. Uh, no, because nobody did. And so they were able to fly under the radar and do their own thing, which you'll never be able to do with Batman. I know people who have done Batman and had to go to DC meetings where, you know, the law is laid down about what they can and can't do or show like Batman can never do X, Y, or Z. Uh, I'd like to know what that all is. I'd like to be able to see the Batman Bible as it were. I'm sure it changes with every new regime. I mean, Dan DiDio is gone now, and so maybe, they, maybe they've loosened up. I don't know. I mean, if I were in charge of the comic world, my rule would be ditch all the burdensome continuity. It's no fun anymore. And just tell fun stories. You can do they whatever. They tried that. Uh, at DC. New 52 at DC. They tried that, and it failed spectacularly. Um. I don't know if I can go down a new 52 rabbit hole. I don't think I saw it the same way as, as you. I just, I will say that between the two major companies, all of the continuity that they seem to think that they have to honor is so exhausting. It's a waste. Yeah. It's tedious. It's burdensome. You can't just pick up a comic and enjoy it. Uh, and so I, I will get, digital comics from the library to read on my iPad, but I don't, I don't read much of Marvel and DC anymore. And I certainly don't collect Marvel and DC anymore. Yeah, I don't either. I, well, mine's from a lack of disposable income, but you know, I put it other places. I play video games a lot. So that's where I kind of, and the prostitutes. don't forget and the prostitutes. Hookers and blow don't pay for themselves. No, they do not. But uh, yeah, well, and that's the thing is, is, we need to loosen up again and, and have a little bit more fun with these properties. And I think anything, the problem with uh, the properties that we see remade oh, time and time and time and time and time again is, is that you're right. They're overburdened with this, the weight of their own uh, importance. Uh, 
uh, we got things like uh, Star Trek, Star Wars, these two big franchises that uh, can't get out of their own way to save their lives half the time. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I, I I go back to the original Star Trek fairly often because I, I just think it's an amazing show. And when you look at say Discovery and then go back and look at an original Star Trek and the amount of story they packed into less than 50 minutes. Those are really, I don't care how cheesy you think the original Star Trek was. Uh, they did a phenomenal job. Oh, but, I love uh, the original Star Trek. Don't be, you're never going to catch me on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we were, uh, now we were talking about prequel shows with regard to Alfred. And since we're in the, the segment where we just talk about stuff we hate and can't stand <laughs> <laughs> before we get to the stuff we like. Right. I got to say, I've just never had any interest with any of these prequel shows, these origin shows, these backstory shows. Like there is a new show about Nurse Ratchet from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I was going to ask you if you'd seen that. I think the the throwaway crack I said to you when we were messaging was I'd rather drink tea strained through Brandon Jerwa's underpants than watch Ratchet <laughs> because I just it's or like the old Bates Motel show that was supposed to be like the origin of young Norman Bates Hannibal or uh, Hannibal was no. was uh, kind of its own ball of wax and, and I think ingenious and I hope it comes back I'll have to watch it. I, I I didn't watch it for the same reason you're talking about uh, Ratchet. It's just because I didn't want to uh, change my opinion of the source material, what I originally loved originally, which was, of course, you know, Silence of the Lambs and all that. Hannibal's the exception to the rule. And I've read all those novels, seen all those movies, uh, the Thomas Harris stuff. Hannibal uh, honors them uh, well and just takes it to a whole new level that, that you're going to love when you finally get into it as soon as we finish talking i want you to start watching that show i will and here's the thing and this is what i think is really cool because once i air this this episode of the podcast we'll get to find out if Jer was actually listening or not because <laughs> I, I i expect to get a text message about making tea from his underpants. about straining tea through his underpants yes uh, you take the first sip of that. <laughs> I was actually, I was, you know, just uh, carrying on with what we were talking about, these stupid prequel shows and people just strip mining every corner of the universe. Mm -hmm. I was actually angry when I saw the announcement for a new show called Pennyworth. Like, like you've strip mined everything, everything. And you think that, that we, the viewers want a standalone Alfred show? Screw you. Screw you in perpetuity. Why not just announce an Aunt Harriet show while you're at it? You, you remember her from the 66 Batman? She was, Aunt Harriet was the older woman they added to the Batman show to stop anyone thinking about Bruce and Dick spending a little bit too much time alone with each other, right? That Harriet? Sliding up and down the bat pole. Yeah, but like you'd have a you'd have like a younger, hotter Aunt Harriet getting passed around as a girlfriend to all the supervillains, like a like a rock show groupie. Like you could Cameron Crowe could be the showrunner for that. That'd be great. That'd uh, anyway, be great. so that's what I thought about Pennyworth going into it, and to set up the rest of what we're going to be talking about. Boy, was I wrong. And that is kind of what we are going to discuss. I'm going to go ahead and and, and say we're going to take a real quick break, and when we come back, we're going to discuss 
Pennyworth, why we thought it was a bad idea, and why we were wrong. Stick around. All right, everybody, welcome back. And so we are here to discuss Pennyworth. Now, when I was initially told about this series, when I, I think my son read me an article about it because he's a huge Batman nerd too. One of the many things I've passed down to my kid was uh, an abiding love of Batman. Um, he told me that they were doing this television series about Alfred, and I had the exact same thought, Mark, that you did. It's like, oh my God, what the hell's next? Why do they need, are we going to get a Jim Gordon series? And now we are. Wait, what, we are? Oh, yeah. I had a, is, it, is it like a sitcom called The Gordons with a laugh track? No, okay, so you know Matt Reeves is directing a new Batman movie, right? Yes. Uh, he is also making for HBO Max uh, a prequel to The Batman that focuses on the corruption within the GCPD. Uh, like Gotham Central? Yeah. Comic book? Okay. All right. Yeah. Which, okay, before Pennyworth, and, and we'll get into this again, I promise you, but before Pennyworth, I would have said, no, just stop. Why are we doing this? And I know that it's supposed to be a companion piece to his movie uh, to kind of introduce, like I said, the, the corruption in the GCPD. But at the same time, it's like, oh, God, like you said, what is, what's next? And Harriet? You know, uh, in order to keep from going insane with something that doesn't make any difference, I just have to not care and then be pleasantly surprised if it turns out well. And that's funny that you mentioned that because now I did a little digging into uh, – the Pennyworth series before I even started watching it. And I'd kind of written it off uh, specifically for the fact that it's written by uh, created by Bruno Heller, which was the guy who did uh, Gotham. And for any of you guys out there who have watched Gotham, I think it lasted five seasons and I made it through like two and a half seasons before I really started just watching it just because my kid was watching it and then even then it's like all right you go watch this in your room i don't want to watch this um it lasted longer than i did how long did you make it into gotham not even a season oh yeah and see and that's the that's part of what i wanted to talk about today and and we'll get to alfred here in a minute but the problem with adapting material is that when you adapt material, you're going to have to take certain liberties with areas that are maybe not fleshed out so well. I get that. That's where I think this new series on epics, it's called Pennyworth, uh, really shines. Because we don't know, aside from uh, from Alfred being an SAS agent and having a bit of an acting background and having a bit of a, a special forces background and uh, we don't really know all that much about him prior to his service for the Waynes. And this series is a good opportunity to dive into what makes Alfred Alfred, which made him such an integral part of the, the Bat family. But what Gotham didn't do, and, 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 and I've been told that this is a prequel to Gotham, not necessarily to Batman. So... But what Gotham did is it took 80 years of comic continuity for Batman and threw it right out the window. Uh, it took villains that weren't established until well into Batman's tenure and brought him into Bruce Wayne's 12-year-old Gotham City. 
and they just shoehorned every little thing that they could shoehorn into this series to try and legitimize it as a Batman without Batman. And it just, it fell so far flat and just, I felt it made a mockery of everything that Batman was. What about you? It just didn't interest me after the first handful of episodes. I could see the direction it was going. And uh, the thing is, though, don't count Bruno Heller out. I mean, as we relearned with Pennyworth, uh, he was also responsible for HBO's Rome. And it's been a while since that came out. So if you happen to have missed that, now that everybody's getting on board with HBO Max because the DC content is all there, do yourself a favor and go back and watch Rome. I think it only ran for a couple of seasons, but it was magnificent and you will absolutely love it. And that was also one of the very first HBO experiments with sort of longer form novel-like storytelling. So, you know, episode. And I, ha- I haven't watched Rome and I, I definitely want to now that I, I do have uh, HBO Max now. The great John uh, Milius uh, played a key role in developing the show too. So, you know, Milius from say, Conan the Barbarian, Red Dawn. So it's got those sen- those fascist sensibilities in it. And uh, as far as the long-form storytelling goes, it's one of those things like we're used to now, let's say with The Sopranos or Breaking Bad. It gives itself room to tell its story. And if, if a certain early episode doesn't set your hair on fire, I remember watching Rome, the Bruno Heller show. And it was like on a Sunday, I had a hangover. And it was like seven or eight shows into the season. Suddenly, I just start shouting, Jesus Christ! <laughs> so they, they really make the most of the momentum they build up. <clears throat> and, and ditching the episodic format to, to make you invested in what's going on. And so when something really does happen, your eyes will bulge out of their sockets. Uh, Bruno Heller was also responsible for uh, that mentalist show, which really doesn't bear any resemblance to the stuff we're talking about. Uh, the one about I've seen that one either. Uh, it's kind of enjoyable, but in more of sort of a a third-rate Columbo knockoff sort of way. It's kind of like comfort viewing. It's oh, not- that's that's the one with. Uh- the Australian actor, Simon. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I always got that one confused with Psych. And I know Psych was played for laughs, and The Mentalist really isn't, but kind of the same thing, like a psychic helping a police department solve crimes or whatever. Yeah, it, it, it's a crime. It's a charming crime solver show, one of one of many. Charming. Well, I, I like I said, I haven't had much uh, real experience with Bruno Heller outside of that. I will have to pick up Rome. I just, like I said, I just got to HBO Max, and uh, the first program I put on was the Sesame Street talk show, which <laughs> I, I don't know. I if, didn't know about that. No. And, and funny enough, the first episode I watched it's it's a talk show done by Elmo, basically. Okay. Uh, Little kid doing uh, a talk show uh, in his bedroom, and he's got like human guests and real guests on. And I think the musical group was Pentatonics, which is like an ice pick through my skull. Um, and then his live action guest was Batman, which I thought was funny, uh, but it wasn't. It was no Batman you've ever seen. It was some. Weird guy in a pad, badly padded muscle suit. So, 
Uh, you remember back in the days when like the mute Spider-Man who would appear on the electric company would be the highlight of our day. <laughs> and, and wasn't it Morgan Freeman who uh, narrated that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was back when we had nothing. Simpler nothing, times. I say. Nothing. Well, we were spoiled to get a Michael Keaton Batman. I'm telling you, that's why we were so excited about it. It was sheer deprivation and not the quality of that film. <laughs> Well, and, and so, like I said, uh, I already have that, eight, but I don't have much experience with, with Bruno Heller. So uh, the thing that turned me off to it is, of course, my, I read the article after my son was talking about it, and it said, oh, he's one of the key creators of Gotham. And I'm like, no, nope, check, please. I'm done. I don't want anything to do with it. Um, and that's not to say that, okay, so the actor that played uh, Alfred in the Gotham show, his name was uh, uh, Sean Pertwee, and, and Sean Pertwee was actually a shining light in the series. He was not cast badly. He didn't act badly. He's everything you'd want in kind of a more kick-ass Alfred. Good evening, gentlemen. Master Bruce sends his profound apologies. He's otherwise engaged. He's been busy a lot since he came back. Yes, indeed. So, I mean, he was one of the few characters that I actually really enjoyed. And yeah, they so, made him into more of a tough guy, Alfred, didn't they? Yeah, like uh, with the, the the Cockney accent and the and the kind of thuggish, roguish appearance, and he certainly wasn't one to put up with uh, Master Wayne's guff. Uh, should uh, Kevin run down the list of Alfreds? Well, we can do we can uh, we can we can spitball this. In the 1966 show, it was Alan Napier? Where's Bruce Wayne? Mr. Wayne is not at home, sir. Too bad. I'll get my revenge later. Right now, I'll settle for cash. Where's the safe? My duties do not include aiding and abetting thievery. Uh, right, right. He, he was uh, he was about the furthest thing from a two-fisted Alfred that that you could ask for. Well, very Still, prim, very proper, very British. Beloved, nonetheless. Beloved. Mm-hmm. Not the most physical Alfred ever. Um, a much older Alfred, but they still managed to get him in the mix sometimes. Uh, in the Tim Burton movies, it was Michael Goff, and if you don't remember who Michael Goff was, he was a veteran of some Hammer films. and, and He looks like a Hammer actor, the picture that I'm seeing right now. Why are you now determined to prove that this penguin is not what he seems? Must you be the only lonely man beast in town? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Horror vet of of things up and down the food chain, the El Chipo stuff and, and <laughs> classics. Uh, the Nolan movies had uh, Michael Caine. Michael Caine. People are dying, Alfred. What would you have me do? Endure, Master Wayne. Take it. They'll hate you for it, but that's the point of Batman. He can be the outcast. He can make the choice that no one else can make. The right choice. In order to say his name correctly, the way he says it, you say the words, my cocaine, my cocaine. So I went over her and she said, are you a drug dealer? <laughs> I said, no, why do you ask? She said, why is everybody calling you my cocaine? <laughs> you know that story's true because you couldn't make it up. <laughs> if you could do the dueling, uh, 
uh, Michael Caine's with like Steve Coogan and and the other guy from the Trip movies. That would make my day. I think I've seen it, but uh, um, Michael Andy Circus is the new Alfred in in the Batman. Oh, Andy Circus, yeah, of the uh, Lord of the Rings movies as uh, I don't know how I Gollum, and I don't either. I like I feel Jeremy like... Irons. Jeremy Jer- Irons from the DC movies. He did a great job in those. You're getting slow in your old age, Alfred. Comes to us all, Master Wayne. Even you've got too old to die young. And not for lack of trying. Um, Actually, it's probably one of my favorite things Jeremy Irons been in because it was a little more subtle for him. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, he didn't chew the scenery quite so much. And he, then as he's got some gravity to him, and when he makes a wise crack, uh, it's it, it's it's got some smack with it. <laughs> I think that's in the accent. Um, one, one thing that we should point out is Alfred's DNA. I think something that seem, people seem to forget about Alfred is that his kind of fatherly, avuncular, smart aleck persona mostly originated with that 1986 Frank Miller Dark Knight Returns book. And the thing is, this was after Arthur was in theaters in 1981. Remember Arthur, the Dudley Moore movie? Mm-hmm. John Gielgud played Arthur's snarky butler. His name was Hobson. And that movie was a huge hit. It was like the fourth biggest movie in the U.S. that year. And John Gielgud won an actor, a uh, supporting actor Oscar for it. So Tim, uh, not Tim, uh, 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 Frank Miller's Alfred was just blatantly based on that smart aleck Gilgood Hobson character, right? <laughs> yeah. And that, that is the Alfred that we now accept as, as the canonical Alfred. Right. So it, it wasn't like that before the mid-80s. Well, and, and I, th- I want to co- make a correction. Al- uh, Ephraim Zimbalis Jr. was the voice of Alfred for Batman the Animated Series. So that's why that name popped in. Uh, that's an old name from, from, I think, the only reason anybody in the year 2020 would know who Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. is, is if they watched Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and saw the clip from the old FBI TV series. Master Bruce, I... Miss Gordon, I heard you've discovered our little secret. Yes, I admit it. I am Batman. Who are you? Batman. I don't think so. Just once I'd like someone to believe that. Uh, but and so I mean there have been a lot of actors who have tackled him both vocally and physically. Uh Ralph Fine Ralph Rafe? Rafe Fines. Rafe Fines uh in the Lego movie played Alfred. Uh, oh, I heard that was good. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Uh Tom Hollander played him in Harley Quinn. Oh, let's see. Who else do we got? Douglas Hodge. I don't know much about Douglas Hodge. Played him in Joker. But, uh, yeah, we've gone over the key ones. Now, again, back to Sean uh, Perchwee, uh, who played him in Gotham. Like I said, one of the characters that I actually really rather enjoyed, and it's because he was so smug and no-nonsense and, you know, hard-charging and not stiff-upper-lip kind of butler, you know what I mean? Yeah, I can live with that, Alfred. That's a fine Alfred. But that, which of course leads us to uh, Jack Bannon, who plays uh, 
Alfred in the show Pennyworth. Yeah. And he's like, I want to say like early 30s, maybe. Uh, I'm trying to look mm-hmm. up his date of birth. 1999. Okay, so he's 29 years old. And he's got the thing, he's got the biggest widow's peak on him that I've ever seen on anybody. Like it deserves points. its own billing. It's it's the star of the show. <laughs> it does. And I was looking for the first episode. I'm like waiting for it to move. Like he's just got a comb over that just points straight down. But no, it's attached. It's really weird. I have not looked up other photos of him. I, I did look up his filmography and he's only been in a handful of British TV shows. So most Americans probably were not familiar with him before Pennyworth. And in fact, more, most Americans probably weren't familiar with Epics, the, the network. I had to look it up. Or whatever the the service that Pennyworth is on. So I yeah I was kind of wondering if they if they did something to his hair, fitted him with a rug, or shaved it back if, if he's got a low hairline or something because that is. That well, no, I'm I'm looking at a bunch of pictures of him, and uh, it's all. I mean, I can show you. You're you're looking at my screen. I'm not anymore because I hit oh. the wrong button. I, I don't. Okay. I well, it, needless up. to be say, it, it's 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 there. It's it's part of him. So I ain't no rug. Well, then I would make that the first line on his resume because it's impressive. <laughs> and Jack Bannon's Alfred, he's got a large helping of the Michael Caine Cockney in it. Oh, such swagger behind it. My God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It makes you think like this is actually what Michael Caine would have been like uh, when he was in his 20s. Uh, and that's a dude I'd like to go drinking with. Things got pear-shaped. I'll do my best to keep you alive. As a rule, if you have to use French words for something, I don't like it. I don't like violence. And I don't like you, mate. <laughs> uh, in my universe, there is room for the Alan Napier, Alfred, the Sean Pertwee, Alfred, and, and this Alfred. I, the show is just terrific. And um, one thing I especially loved about it is that you just don't need to know every bit of Batman's 81 year old history to enjoy it you don't really have to know that much at all there's references there's there's foreshadowing but that's not what the whole show is about the show is its own thing and uh it's young alfred in in 1960s london swinging london swinging london yeah if if you're Uh, a fan of of the austin powers movies that took it to an alarming extent but it's still very much that same style of discos and parties. And yeah. what I didn't understand was they were very liberal use of, uh, of altered history. Like we get with Quentin Tarantino movies, since we were talking about Quentin Tarantino, but uh, guillotines and beheadings in the public square still happening in the late sixties. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a weird off version of London, like an alternate London where that kind of stopped me in my tracks too, where they have public executions with disembowelments. Mm. And you've also got a couple of secret societies that are fighting each other for control of London. Uh, they're called the Ravens. And I think the no name society, the no name league. So it, it Pennyworth is not a documentary. Let's just put that out there. <laughs> no, but, but the things that it gets right, it really gets right. Like, we uh, are introduced to uh, Alfred uh, post-war. Uh, him, him and a, a couple of his war buddies are just coming home from the war and settling back in. Uh, and Alfred takes a job as a bouncer at a nightclub while he's trying to get his private security firm off the ground. 
which is where, of course, he runs into Thomas Wayne, because, of course, he does. That's we right. all know we we all know he's got to meet him eventually, anyways. Why not do it in the first fucking episode? Well, we know someday Thomas and Martha are going to get it on and sire the young Batman, but mm-hmm. not yet. Thank God, not yet. Thank God, not another scene in Crime Alley with with the pearl necklace breaking. Thank God, <laughs> this will not infuriate you with with its repetition at all. No, and, and we we. <laughs> We get a break from that, though we do meet uh, Martha Kane, and we do meet Thomas Wayne. Uh, they don't really interact with each other like that in this. They don't fall head over heels in love. It's not love at first sight, like all this. I mean, I honestly, I don't even really like Thomas Wayne originally. He's kind of a dick. Yeah, they don't make it so easy right away with uh, Thomas and, and Martha, which, which is fine. I can get behind that. Absolutely. But the other characters that were presented with in this shows, uh, Alfred and his two mates from the war, uh, very tight relationship, very uh, dodgy circumstances they find themselves in. Uh, we also get to meet uh, a former assassin for the Raven Society, uh, Bet. And uh, she, I don't want to spoil too much about it, but she's amazing. She is one of the highlights of the show. And Absolutely. Uh, I looked her up extensively because I thought she was just so much fun. That's uh, Paloma Faith, and I believe she's a musician. And it's, you know, whenever you get a musician or a comedian uh, in, uh, in a role like this, it's fun to see what they do with it. Right, because everyone always expects comedy out of you or or. or, or... Like they expect what they know from you. And then when you're able to just go up there and completely flip the script, like Paloma did, it, it's amazing. She was fantastic. Yeah. She's one of the, uh, henchmen to, uh, to the main, uh, villain of the show and got a real working class, uh, sort of East Enders type of accent, uh, completely ruthless and unscrupulous, but at the same, ta- at the same time, kind of likable. Right, and then like you just mentioned the the bad guy, the the chief antagonist in this uh, season would be uh, Jason Fleming. Uh, he is absolutely fantastic as Lord Harwood, uh, and and his journey throughout the season is is transformative uh, for him as a character as well. Uh, yeah, very very well acted. Genre fans will be very familiar with Jason Fleming. I mean, he was in 28 Days Later. He was even uh, Dr. Quatermass in one, in one of the incarnations of that franchise. He, he's been in a lot of good, solid nerd stuff. He was also in that much maligned uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie, which we won't really... Speaking of Alan Moore not liking <laughs> oh, things. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, rightly maligned. and. By the way, if anybody's wondering, I just last night finished the final volume of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen comics, The Tempest. You're okay skipping all that. Really? <laughs> not, a, not a stunning uh, endorsement there. It was, it was, it was tough. To, it was a, that was work to get through that one. Uh, uh, let's see. Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels as well. Another big movie that he did. Uh He's been in a lot of stuff that I didn't know him in. 
Yeah, he's so. he's just one of these capital E English actors who uh, has been in so many things that maybe you don't even realize that, that you've seen. He's been around for a long time now. But now, absolutely I, wonderful uh, arc on the show. So, Yes, yes. Uh, you know, I mentioned that you didn't have to know all of Batman's history, but you see references and foreshadowing. There's a lot of Easter eggs, and I don't think I caught every single one. Uh, I did notice that in one of the early episodes, they used the Persuaders theme song at the start, which was a swell touch. Did you spot any Easter eggs? Uh, not overly much, but I wasn't really looking for much. Uh, I know they played around with a little bit with, uh, Pennyworth's dad, uh, kind of originally, uh, in the original comics, Alfred had inherited his kind of his position from his father. And so we get a lot of the, uh, stiff upper lip British Butler from Mr. Pennyworth. But uh, other than that, just some um, allusion to it towards the Court of Owls in Gotham. Yeah, those actors who play uh, Alfred's parents are Ian Pulliston Davies and um, Dorothy Atkinson. They really merit a mention on their own because there's, there's a little bit of family drama at home, but not so much that it takes you out of it like, like every single show, like say 24 with an annoying uh, teenager subplot. Uh, Alfred's parents are, are a lot of fun to watch because there's that little bit of drama. And then there are a couple times without spoiling anything for anybody that they get right down to business with Alfred. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah especially towards uh, the end of this, of the first series here. And it's, it's fantastic. And, and I'm looking down, uh, down his uh, in his page on IMDb and mostly British stuff that I've not seen, but uh, he's done a lot. He's done a lot. Coronation Street. That's the one I was looking for. The very popular British show. He's done 542 episodes. Um, that's, I, that's a veteran there. If I'm not mistaken, that is uh, uh, basically a, a BBC soap opera. Am I correct? I, I believe so. I, I yeah. am not the biggest Coronation Street viewer, I have to admit. 542 episodes, if anything, is longevity. So That's almost into Star Trek territory, for Christ's sake. <laughs> but uh, we're going to take one more quick short break, and then uh, we come back, we'll wrap things up with, with Mark Ronner. Stick around. All right, welcome back. So just kind of to, to, to put a button on the top of this conversation now, and I know I've talked to, uh, to uh, Brandon about this a bit uh, when I talked to him last, but uh, uh, there's kind of an inherent uh, minefield involved with adapting material uh, for a new audience. And, and, and we see that all the time with the constant remakes uh uh, like you said, like 8,000 different versions of Pearl Clutching in Crime Alley or uh, Uncle Ben Can Only Die so many times before we're just uh, sick to fucking death of it. Yeah. Uh, so the danger, I feel like, in, in retreading anything and recreating anything that's already a known quantity is we could run into uh, the flip sides of the coin. You got, you got your Gotham where they over beat to death every single character uh, and, and try to cram and shoehorn enough in there to make everyone happy, but ultimately leave nobody happy. 
Or you've got like what we feel with Pennyworth, where you have a character that has a background that's open enough for some interpretation uh, that won't really affect what we already know and love about the character. Because nothing that they did in Alfred, or nothing that they did in Pennyworth, excuse me, uh, really changes the base nature of Alfred as a character. No, He's not still- really. They make him an SAS soldier, which, <clears throat> you know, that, that's been, if not implied, just outright uh, part of his lore in, in recent years. I can live with that. I can live with him having a real badass past, and, and I don't I don't need a lot more than that. I don't know about you, but I think they strike a nice balance here. They give him a little PTSD that bothers him, <laughs> but it, it's not the focus of the whole show. Right, and, and it's not something... Uh, now, Now we both uh, talked about how much we actually really enjoyed... Uh, Go- uh, not Gotham, excuse me. Good Lord, not Gotham. Uh, but we've really enjoyed uh, what they've done with Pennyworth. Now, I, that being said, I don't think it's something that could necessarily carry itself through more than two or three seasons. I well, mean, I know it just got renewed for... It, it's been renewed for a second season, and the COVID... Uh, uh, situation made them have to pause in their production. Right. Uh, I don't think they missed a step. I, I really think, you know, to mix metaphors, they hit it out of the park with this first season. And so I, I'd watch it as long as they made it if they, if they kept doing them like this first season. Right. But that's the problem is they've got to hit that mark every single time. And I feel like that's where the danger comes in because all of a sudden now you've got by the end of season one, you've got Thomas and Martha Wayne kind of started to interact with each other in that way yeah at some point really soon thomas and martha are they gotta go away they're going to start having unprotected sex which is what i'm saying (laughs) and we need to put that off for as long as possible so that we can just enjoy alfred's adventures before a little baby bruce wayne gets into the picture right because then at that point we know he moves to gotham and, and and helps with the waynes in whatever underground capacity they're going to have the waynes serving in Gotham, uh, we already know it's not going to be simple Thomas the doctor and Martha the doting housewife. It's not going to be that. No, I'm not ready to move into that universe yet. This young Alfred as a young sort of tough guy, charismatic Jack the Lad type in uh, sort of alternate swinging London. It's a crime show. It's a highly stylized, fun funny crime show and absolutely and I, think, I think it's it's just, it's about the most fun thing that i've seen all year and that includes <laughs> like doom patrol and and any other nerd show that you can bring up you don't know <laughs> epics alfred is definitely a dark horse trust me on this if if you are burned out on on both of the companies just like scraping the bottom of the barrel for every single property they can develop this is not that I was totally wrong about it, and it's great fun. I was wrong about it too, and I and I don't. I frankly don't uh, have a problem admitting that I was wrong. I let what I saw in Gotham uh, kind of sway my decision making for it, and it wasn't until you posted something on uh, Facebook about Pennyworth um, that made me start to give it a second chance, and and that's when we started discussing wanting to, to talk about it, and and. and really delve into the topic now, but I find a a lot of, 
a lot of media these days is retread. It's it's a lot of the fact that Hollywood can't seem to come up with an original idea to save their lives. Well, and no, because we, it, it costs money. <laughs> like they said in uh, in Watergate and all the president's men always follow the money. There's a reason that franchises are the law of the land right now and that there are only like big blockbuster budgets and little tiny budgets and we don't get those mid-level movies anymore. Well, right. But along with that, like I said, it comes with a certain degree of uh, nerd trepidation, at least for me and from, and from some of the people that I've talked to because, you know, when you get these good interpretations like Pennyworth, it really gives you an opportunity to enjoy what you enjoy about comics and fandom and, and being a part of it. But when you get something that is uh, so left field and so terrible, like like we've been getting a, a lot of material these days that have been really, really good interpretations of some really dark adult stuff. Like uh, I only watched season one of it, but I've been told Preacher was absolutely great start to finish. Hmm. Um, um. I'll have you know, to read read more into that, but I, I read the preacher uh, comics every every issue of those, and I found the uh, I think it's AMC the AMC mm-hmm. series to be a little too quirky and cute, and the first season was just kind of the prequel nobody wanted or asked for or needed. Uh, so I'm not down with the preacher series like other people. What about the boys? The boys show is better than the boys book. The boys book. Uh, struck me as um, just trying to get away with, with the nastiest shit you could get in a comic book, uh, which is fine. And that's Garth Ennis does a lot of that. He's the creator and the writer of the boys. Uh, the series I think uh, is a real improvement over that because you, you just can't do, you can't sustain a show on just let's see what we can get away with gross out or sex wise or language wise. Right. And, and I think uh, the next, uh, season is going to this season that's currently on uh, by the end of it we're really going to find out if it's got any kind of legs or if it's just kind of a a flash in the pan i'm hoping it's got enough legs that amazon has just greenlit a spinoff show i heard about that a young vaught academy for for super youths oh jesus christ i'm not sure how i feel about that but i think that the lesson that pennyworth has taught us is that it could be good it could. I mean, we can uh, we can crap on it all we want beforehand, but there's a chance it could be good. Hey, uh, I I found that I liked the boys far more than I even expected I would, and and you can't tell me, and I'm going to say this on on air, so it's out there forever. That is what would happen if Zach Morris was a superhero from Saved by the Bell. He even looks the part. Are Homelander. You, are, you know. The guy, the actor who plays Homelander is so goddamn good. His name is Anthony Starr. And if you have not seen it, go find yourself his earlier starring vehicle from Cinemax called Banshee. It ran for, what, three seasons? I think three. I could be wrong. Banshee is phenomenal. And he is a magnificent psychopath as as Homelander. Uh, Good on him. He, and uh, it's fantastic because he was in an interview recently and people were asking him, well, who are you to be talking about this? And because he looks so different out of character to what he looks like in real life that people didn't recognize him. They didn't know it was him. 
he's incredible. And when uh, one of my own comics was optioned and, and, and the uh, agents kept on throwing names at me for people to approach, Anthony Starr was the one I kept on saying, no, you've got to check this guy out. Look at this guy while he's between jobs and before he's a household name. This guy oh, is terrific. Fuck, now you'll never get him. Yeah, needless to say, here we are. <laughs> and, and we were talking about the dangers of uh, bad interpretations, and we actually mentioned one, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah, the, uh, also known as the movie that made Sean Connery retire. He quit. He literally quit acting after playing Alan Quartermain. Yeah. Uh, so uh, what, what other examples do you have of... Uh, Material that should not have been adapted. Aside from Keaton Batman, we already got that. Oh, geez. I mean, well, I mean, we didn't talk about this beforehand, but I remember the Green Lantern movie or Green uh, Hornet movie, rather, that uh, Seth Rogen was in. I had yeah. to watch that because one of my first uh, comics for Dynamite was a Green Hornet annual. And I was just watching every Green Hornet thing I could get my hands on. And one of my friends at the time had cancer. It was terminal and he didn't have a lot of time left and we wanted to get together and watch a movie in his basement. That poor friend of mine never got those two hours back. I wasted, I wasted two of my friend's final hours on that <laughs> God awful green Hornet movie. And I'll feel bad about that for the rest of my life. He kept on, he was weak. He was weak from the chemo and he was, he was hitting his, uh, his vaporizer because he was in such pain. And he kept on saying, can't you watch something else now? I'm like, no, no, let's just give it another 10 minutes. I got to see this. Oh, Jesus 10 Christ. minutes passes and he's like, could, could we try something else? I, I'm going to burn in hell for me. <laughs> for one of many, many reasons. But My poor, poor friend and that goddamn green horn. Right. And when we've talked about uh, Star Trek movies as well, and I think they run into the same kind of issues as, uh, especially as regards the uh, the J.J. Abrams remakes, uh, because they're treading over uh, something that's beloved, something that has uh, its own culture around it. Uh, it was always going to be something that was fairly contentious, and that's when we ended up with... I mean, I didn't really particularly mind the casting. I thought they did a fairly decent job casting the movie. Um that said, once the second movie hit, I was really kind of taken out of it. And then by the time the third one came around, I was I was thoroughly starting to not really give a shit. There's uh, a way because, that might be helpful for you to look at the J.J. Abrams Star Trek. All right, hit, hit me. You're, you're welcome to disagree with me about it because Star Trek fans can get kind of emotional. They're not doing Star Trek. They're riffing on Star Trek. The J.J. Abrams and the people who made these movies they don't love Star Trek and they don't respect it. The whole vibe I got watching these was like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if Kirk and Spock were assholes when they were young men and didn't like each other? Or wouldn't it be a fun SNL sketch if they got, if Spock and his girlfriend got in a relationship argument on the shuttle and Kirk was there and didn't have any place to go? It's all <laughs> just riffing on Star Trek. They don't even get bones right. They don't even get the origin of bones right even though uh carl urban does a spectacular deforest kelly he does he really does i mean the uh, origin of bones is a doctor used to be called a sawbones. Sawbones, yeah and this this brain dead fucking idiotic first abrams movie 
he's, he's going through a divorce and he says his wife took everything but his bones and that's how he gets to be called bones it's just it's lazy and stupid and i hate every second of it I, i'm telling you bj and i have argued about this for days at a time yeah i get that and and, and bj tries bless his heart he tries to see the best in everything but uh, you watch this as a fan and i appreciate that point of view but uh but I'm serious about Star Trek. I, you, you've got to draw your line in the sand somewhere in life. Well, like I said, and just kind of put a capper on the whole thing, the dangers that we have with uh, retreading and, and, and digging deeper into characters that we maybe don't need to or haven't done before, we do run the risk of running into something like Gotham where they're throwing everything against the wall to see what sticks and, and what they can get away with without really pissing the fans off. Um, and then on the other side of that coin, and ironically done by the same guy, Bruno Heller, we get uh, Pennyworth, which is a deep dive into a character we know relatively little about, and it actually makes the character good. It makes the character relevant. Uh, so there's a real fine line, I feel like. And, and like I said, you just got to kind of toe, toe carefully. Otherwise you just end up in uh dismal JJ Abrams. Don't give a shit territory. So no, they really start gold with Alfred. They've got just the right combination of terrific actors, memorable actors and stylish production and direction to the point where they have the neighborhood pub where they go and, over in the UK, it's much more normal for people to just go for a pint each day. They don't save it all up for the weekend and get shit-faced like, like MAGA people here. Uh, I <laughs> wanted to hang out in their pub. I would love to go have a pint or, or four in that, in that neighborhood pub of theirs. It's wonderful. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, it created a world that actually looked like a lot of fun. Even dangerous, but a lot of fun. Yes. Yes. But, uh, well, Mark, I want to thank you for coming back onto the podcast with me to, and, and for introducing me to this show in general, because it's something that I easily would have overlooked, and I'm glad I didn't. And so now I'm going to have to do a deep dive on uh, Bruno Heller and go check out Rome as check well. Check out so. Rome. Check out that Danger 5 show if you haven't already watched some of it. I have started watching that. For anyone else who wants to know, it's on uh, Amazon Prime. Uh, Danger 5, it is the most ridiculous thing I've seen in quite a long time. And I mean that in all the best ways. Uh, before we sign off, would you mind if I just mentioned uh, my old horror western with zombies comic called Rotten? Is no, absolutely. On, it is available on Comixology. Uh, one of our good friends, Eric Troutman, gave it a complete redesign not too long ago. You can get both trade paperback volumes for dirt cheap on comiXology and if you're suffering from a zombie deficit because you haven't uh, seen any walking dead in a while this will be just what the doctor ordered for you and fantastic it's written by the angriest author you know you literally are the angriest author i know <laughs> uh but mark like i said i want to thank you for uh for coming back on the program uh, did you have uh, any way people can reach out and get in touch with you or would you rather stay a curmudgeon and hide I am the easiest person to find on the internet who has not done pornography. Very easy to find. You can go to markbronner.com. That's got a little archive of my assorted stuff. I'm on the Twits, Facebooks. I'm, I'm right, at, right out there in front of God and everyone. So let's hang out again, Kevin. Good to talk to you. 
Absolutely. And like I said, uh, I want to thank you for coming back on. I want to thank all of you for listening again to another episode of the Feel Your Fandom podcast. Uh, one more time, if you need to find us, you can reach us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Feel Your Fandom. But from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen and try to remember that everything is fandom and fandom is everything. Take care.